Thanks for joining us today. We've got Sarah ready with love letters. We're super excited to have us with her today, with her with us today. Um, <laughs> she was recommended to us by our editor Eagle. She edited one of her books and was like, "You guys, if you have an opening, you should reach out to her. She's amazing." So, and she's been super great to work with so far. I'm really excited about love letters and her audiobook, and we're going to tell you everything she has, the giveaway, everything, in just a little bit. We're going to catch up first, and we're going to get right into it, because we were talking before, and we're like, let's just hit record. So, hit record, bitch. Because, um, Crossy Cole, or how do you say her name? Do I say Cresley Cole. Yeah, Cole she has a Cresley brand new Cole. book out today. If you're listening, it was last Tuesday, so. It's been a long time since she released a book. Like, when yeah. I seen it, because I was doing, Years. working on the new release post, mm-hmm. which you can get in the show notes. Um, <laughs> yep. I was like, God, when was the last Look time? Look it up. Look it up and see. I am. I am literally okay. looking it up right now. I think now. it's been like Everything four is years. Like, yeah, everything is, I'm having to scroll because it's mm-hmm. different languages. So the thing okay. is, we got it's on this It's been 2018. Story. Shut the fuck up. Early February 2018. Fuck. That's so long. And wow. you know what? She's probably had the next book. If it's a publisher's book, she's probably had the next book in the tank. And then she's just been pushing out dates on it. Like, either she hasn't written it or she's written part of it and she's just like, nah, well, we were just, and we were talking about how, you know, usually I jump on her books, but mm-hmm. for some reason there wasn't this jump. Like I put, I already made the post for the new release. So I mm-hmm. had all the links in my yeah. fingertips and, and I didn't still didn't pre-order. I didn't pre-order it. Yeah. Normally I would have years mm-hmm. ago, but I was thinking what I was about to say to you was, I feel like. You know, I loved the, the Brotherhood. Remember that one? Black Dagger um, Brotherhood. Yeah. J.R. So, Ward. But yep. I remember getting to, like, book, like, nine and eight and then falling mm-hmm. off and getting disappointed. You know, I did the same thing yep. a little bit with Niche Species towards mm-hmm. the end. You know, when I started getting around the last three or four, I kind of fallen off. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the same because we talked about how, you know, we, we want our certain, you know, the scarred hero, this, yep. that, the main alpha. Mm-hmm. that I have this fear of going, and I don't know if anybody else does, is going into these paranormal series anymore. Ones that I know are going to be yeah. like eight or nine. Like, mm-hmm. even though it's the first book, when I look at it, I'm like, do I want to do this? Do you know that's what kept me from Ice Planet Barbarians for so long? Was it? Because it was that exact same thing where it's like, okay, I like Ruby Dixon. I love her writing style. love her books. But I had never done, because by the time I got around to Ice Planet Barbie, I blinked and there was 10 of them. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I'm not getting in now. No, I can't do it. Because I just know with her, it's like going to be an investment and then I'm going to be waiting for the next mm-hmm. one. And then it's like going to be a horrible deal. And I'm, well, I love the first four. And then the yep. fifth comes out and I'm like, ah, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I know I I'm did. probably just overthinking it. But I wonder if anybody else does that too. Like I'm already like, no, I think you're definitely not alone. And the first book isn't even dropped yet. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think you're not alone on this. Because like I said, I mean, I ate my words with Ice Planet Barbarians because I finally went and listened to them. And I was like, what the fuck was I so hesitant about? But it's the overwhelming thing of like, 
There's so many books in a series. You're jumping in at the, you know, as the end of it's coming out. And do you even want to commit to that many heroes? Because you're not going to like it after book seven. I also know with Kelsey Cole, it's going to be a year before I get another one. Yep. And the books are if, like if ginormous. Another one. Like I, I mean, she's already proved that she'll jump out, so you may not get another one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that got trust issues now. Yeah. But yeah. I will say, you know, we were talking about it before. I never read her Immortals. I read the first book, which is a novella in the Immortals After Dark. I listened to it and I got finished, and I was like, I don't want to read this, and I don't know. To be fair, at the time when I read it, I don't think it was the right time for me to read it, if that makes sense. You know, no, like, I don't think that you were into some of the stuff you're into now back yeah. then. Like, like yeah. I was saying, my reading uh-huh. taste changed. I'm actually very curious because I read, like, the first, like, seven or eight of their Immortals. There's a lot of I remember them. loving, yeah. like, the one that he's a ghost. Mm-hmm. I can even remember where I was reading it at, in my old house in my bed and being yeah. so excited about it. Memories. <laughs> No, but like I read the novella in the past couple of years. Like I, cause I had, I only discovered Cresley Cole since we've started this podcast because you were telling me about it. And I so wonder if I would what? like it now, if I reread the first book, did I ever tell you like set seven or eight years ago, I read a book when I met like Jen Frederick, she recommended mm-hmm. the book to me, like when I first met her mm-hmm. and I read it and I remember really loving the book and like six or seven years later, I read it again, and I am rage texting her that I hate this motherfucker. <laughs> like, really? Wait, I like this book. What the mother? He's an asshole. Yeah, yeah. It's just so yeah. interesting. I was like so excited to go back and read it, and I was like, I can't even remember. Like the author, I don't even think writes anymore. It was a big time author. God, I don't have to find it. You know what? Though I can tell you why because. They not only have your taste changed a little bit as you do as you grow, but at the same time, I don't believe there was the safety. Oh, there no. wasn't. There's wasn't as many safe books back then. No, that wasn't a thing, and I feel like that this movement was safe. has. He sort was just of, an asshole. Well, I think there's there's been a movement into like sweet, over the top, safe, yeah. like just fluffiness where. I don't really remember reading that when I first started reading romance. It was like a ton of BDSM because of the Fifty Shades movement. There was a ton of menage. Every yeah. fucking book I got was a menage. I think I read like I probably read two hundred menage books the year I found I them. Read so many so menages. Many. So many. So that was huge. And also vampires were huge. Mm-hmm. Like all those series. So yeah, I, it feels like there's definitely, I've always said like romance genres and tropes are cyclical. Like every, every so often you'll recycle, you know, something that was once popular that's not anymore, you yeah. know, yeah. things come back around. They do. But with the Cresley Cole thing, when I read the, when I read the novella at the beginning of the series, I was at the same time, I think I was, it was right before I started the Akatar series, the Court of Thorium Roses. It was right around that time or right after. And it just wasn't like, I read that one and it didn't click. So I went to something else and that clicked. So I never went back to Cresley Cole. Yeah. And again, when I was listening to it, there were so many characters. You never went back to her paranormal. Yes. Yes. And that's what it was. And so like, but when I read her, the professional, like when I read those, the Game Maker series, I could have 
murdered everyone for not telling me how great those books were. I couldn't sleep. I didn't care about food. I was like, I have to read these books until my eyes melt. She is one of, you know, there's only like a handful, really, or maybe there's more, and I'm just in my own little bubble, that can really balance between paranormal Mm -hmm. and contemporary. Yeah, yeah. She does a great job at being able to hit both those things. She knows a lot of people can't do that. Even when mm-hmm. we write our paranormal, they don't sell nearly no. as well no. as the contemporary stuff. But mm-hmm. she can do both and make mm-hmm. them equally as good. You don't find a lot of um, authors, I think, that are able to run in both lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, at, and at she does speed. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she really does. Like, she's able to do that because you'll get an author that either writes the same thing or an author who genre hops. And I have the hardest time trusting a genre hop because it's like you're going to write a menage, you're going to write like, you know, vampires, you're going to write like sci fi, whatever. And it's like, to me, that's just all over the place. And I just think, well, are you ever going to finish all these series? Like, is this book a single? Like, that kind of, that trust yeah. issues. <laughs> yeah, I really do. You know, and I know we talked about this last week about the whole thing about trigger warnings and stuff. And I have seen so many people upset about this, about the trigger warning thing, where it's like they are just of the mind that the author should provide this. And I commented on somebody the other day, like one of us, this awesome lady I follow, um, I should mention her blog while I'm saying this. Um, but I commented on there, I said, even if an author put a trigger warning, I still wouldn't trust it. I, yes, I have trust issues because yeah. I am such a picky reader. And I don't, but I mean, not everybody's like that. So I get it. But okay. I Steph's, have such envy for people who can just Just read in. whatever. I'm just it's like, uh, <sighs> Steph's Romance Book Talk. She's got a fantastic Instagram, fantastic TikTok. Go follow her, Steph's Romance Book Talk. She's also, she does YouTube videos. She recommends everything. She reads really dirty books, like older books, new books, whatever. If you want a book, she's your girl. So I love following her because she's got great recommendations. But again, it's one of those things like, okay, she'll tell me like, okay, there's no cheating in this or this is safe or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, like she'll answer the questions that, for a book I want to know. But if an author put that on the, like, I just still wouldn't trust it. I'd just be like, no, I need someone else that's read it. That that's is, true. That's, not, that that's nonpartisan. That, I'll read some of the book bio description. Mm-hmm. They'll say, this is this, this, this. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I still got like two more questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. because And I told her, I said, I trust reviewers more than I do authors because to give the correct trigger warning. Sometimes the trigger warnings actually make me have more questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely fair. And again, it's like, I'm going to trust someone. I want, like I said, I want someone that is non-biased, that, you know, doesn't have any skin in that book, is going to tell me the truth about it. And that's hard. Like, that's, that's, I get it. Like, as a reader, that's what I want. As an author, though, I don't know how to overcome that. (laughs) That's what's funny is like, if if I put like my author hat on and I think about it, I'm like, Shit, maybe I should get better trigger warnings. I don't know. But, like, ugh, I don't know. It's so hard. It, it's a hard thing. But I've always looked at I, I've looked at this as, like, as the reader. Yeah. Because I just think I couldn't do it. But 
you know, again, with the, the Cresley Cole and, you know, her books and stuff, I'm sure everybody's going to be talking about it tomorrow when it comes out. But um, I think this one's self-published. I don't think it's through a publisher or anything. Um, so, you know, yeah, I don't I'm know. Gonna, I'm going to need to be sold. I'm going to have to see somebody that I know yep. mm-hmm. read it and them say something. And then I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So Rochelle Page, I should text her. Yep, <laughs> she'll have it the second it comes out. She probably has already read it. Like if it came out tonight, she she's already really read it. Fast. She can read really uh-huh. fast. Oh my god, it's four hundred and nine pages, guys. Jesus Christ, that, it I says love it's that, a standalone. Okay, good. That's good. Is it a new? It's in her old series though, Immortal After Dark. Yeah, I I don't know because that's with the publisher, but the covers look. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Different. I wondered how much she could be similar to the publisher yeah, if there is. was agreements it is a, on that. It is okay. part of the series. Okay. I wondered how similar she could go if there was like a conflict of interest on that or if it's been so long now she has the rights to it. I don't know. That's like, that's some of that backdoor secret stuff I'd like to know. I'd like to ask me like, it yo, says, Cresley, hey girl. <laughs> it looks like there's a werewolf crashes in the heroine's wedding and she's like ripped back to a different time. Oh. It sounds really good. I just need someone to read it first. Yeah. (laughs) Why do I have so many trust issues with reading? When I'm like, I mean, hell, like I've, I've walked in through streets of Washington, D.C. in the middle of the night by myself. Like, why do I not, why do I trust that over this? I mean, it says, um, he must convince his fiery mate that she belongs with him. If seduction means, if seduction means her survival. He will use every weapon in his arsenal to possess her forever. Mm, forever. I love it. But still, 409 pages. I'm like, I'm intimidated. That is intimidating. Oh, yeah. It is even linked with the other series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Does it say who published it? Um, I can look. I heard it was self-published. I just assumed it was what I heard was right. Maybe what this I heard was Valkyrie right. This is Valkyrie Press. So, yeah. yeah. Self-published. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other ones are with. Uh, Berkeley? No, Simon and Schuster. Oh, okay. Um, speaking of big books, I read I read like a three hundred page book on Sunday, and I don't think that's very long. A three hundred page book, I don't think's long. But like, I started it like I mean, we ha- we got up Sunday late and kind of laid around, and I had brunch, and I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna read this book, and I read the whole thing before I went, and like it was like after dinner, I finished it, and I was like, I'm gonna go take a bath, and my husband was like you read the whole fucking book today? And I was like, yeah, it was only like 300 pages. He's like, 300 pages? Like, I'm this like, reminds this me of that tiktok thing. Yep, this said. is what we're talking about, where it's unimpressive to anybody listening right now. It's yeah, unimpressive. Like, okay, so you read a yep. book on something. <laughs> yeah, so you read a book. that You, you read a 300-page book? You read a book, okay? Good. Good for you. Now, it would be impressive if I said I read a 500-page book. They'd be like, oh, nice. That's like you read two books. <laughs> Anyways, I finally did it. I finally finished a Trilina Pucci's duet. It was the first one is just like heaven. The second one's sinning like hell. And before I read the first one, before I read just like heaven, I made her tell me the whole thing. I was like, look, I have trust issues. Again, you know, I had never read her books before. I was like, I will give this a shot if you tell me everything that happens. And she's like, sit down. So she told me, beginning to end of the duet, everything that was going to happen. So I knew how it was going to end. And I still didn't want to read it because I was just like, 
I know I'm going to cry. This yeah. is going to be emotional. It's going to be tough. I was like sitting on the couch and I was doing that thing where I like press the tongue to the roof of my mouth so mm-hmm. I don't cry. Yeah. Where it's like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I'm like holding my tears and stuff. And Kevin's like, are you okay? And I was like, it's a really good book. It's a really good book. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. The epilogue was Oh, God, it was so... I'm going to cry. I'm fucking going to cry talking about it. Jesus Christ. It was so perfect. It wrapped up perfectly. It was beautiful. It was a happily ever after forever. And it was just... God, it was so good. I will say that it was graphic as fuck (laughs) when I was reading it. And I don't think I was prepared for that. It's not... I would say it's definitely got some dark tones, some trigger warnings. But she lists them on there somewhere. I don't know. Um, She did say she put them on there someplace. But it was was graphic. But there's like a part in the book where the hero is getting revenge for her. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't prepared for the type of revenge he was going to get. But it doesn't really show it on page. He's just discussing it later. And it's spoiler free. Um, and the way he's describing it to her, I was just like, shit. <laughs> like, I wasn't prepared for that. But it felt just. Like, it felt right. Like, at the end of it, it felt like, okay, that was supposed to happen. Yeah. That It was supposed to happen exactly like that. But it was kind of, it actually, the end of it reminded me of the Mariana Zapata book I read, The Best Thing, that had such an incredible epilogue. It reminded me of that and the fact that I just sat there and it was like, I mean, it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. How are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I popped my 2022 book, Sherry. I find, I, and it you was, should go you know, with something completely different, like the yeah. melting frozen one where it's the abominable guy that's got a fucker. That's exactly what I was just thinking when you were talking about you it before we like, started recording. Gotta, whenever you come out of a book like that, you just got to do something completely fucking Completely different. opposite. Yeah. I got to go total 180 on this. Yeah. So that was the Frozen book we talked about last week where he's an abominable snowman and he's got to fuck the girl to save her or something. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. But I, I was like, I'm in. It sounds amazing. <laughs> um, that one's by Mel Jean Brooke. Yeah. You know, that. I think I even mentioned it last week. I said, I've got this one book that I have to read before I start another one. I I knew that's what it was. I yep. didn't ask you, but I knew because I yeah. knew the second one came out and you hadn't spoke on it again. And I'm like, no. holding I've, it. I bought the fucking paperback. It was sitting on my desk staring at me for like two months. Yeah. Because I was just like, I don't want it to. I know it's going to be emotional. I know yeah. it's going to punch me in the gut, but it just in the perfect way. It was so good. So I'll good. list all these links for you guys to get this for the book yeah. she talked about. Yeah. And the sure. blogger she talked about as well. Yes. So yeah, I've got, you know, I finished that one and I've got a couple more books I want to read. And there's another book that I'm looking forward to. Um, but I don't I don't want to say yeah, I'm gonna read it first and then I'll tell you if it's good or not. I don't want to mention it and then like never talk about it again. <laughs> I don't have any. I realized when you asked if I read anything, I was like, no, but then I realized I read like, yeah. Nothing, Man, like nothing special. But what were we talking about earlier with menages? And you're like, I haven't read those in so long. It was the Maya Banks books. Yeah, Maya Banks. Or maybe it was when you said the other names. I was like, uh-huh. Those books instead. Uh, so Maya Bla- Maya Banks had the Mountain Man, se- the Mountain series, wasn't it? Like some <gasps> yes, kind of mountain, and it was right. the woman with but, like five husbands yes. or something. Yes. Okay, but the one you said was is better than that series. Yeah, actually. it's the that one is by Shiloh Black and Lexi Blake, 
and it is the is the the, the oh, I have them fuck. all on audio. It's like, like not the dumb. All of them on audio. What is it? It's the something security fuck. Whatever it is. So People it's are like screaming when they're like, I know these, these are older books. So maybe they're not. I don't know. But it was she wrote that they the two of them wrote this great series. And it was about this other country where the princes or kings or whoever had to have they had to have be like two men and one wife or three men and one wife that they were all menages. It's like the mono- mercenary menage. It's not coming up. Yeah, I'm searching my thing. It's Shyla Black, right? Uh-huh. S-H-A-Y-L-A. Shyla Black and Lexi Blake. But yeah, it's like Masters of... That's not Shadowlands. Fuck. I I can't think of it. It's going to burn a hole in my brain. But yeah, so all of them are based on that. So they're all menages or multiple more than that. But I think it's always one woman and several men. Yes. But the whole series is based on that. It's always three men. Like, yeah, and it's like the country... It's required that they do this. Which is how they live. They I mean, always, yeah. It was like, this is just their thing. Like, a king has to have... I think it's so that the like, men stay strong and united mm-hmm. front, so they yes. share. Yes. It was and like... And there's always kinda, the brooding one and the mm-hmm. funny one and this charming yep. one. Yes. God. And it was like, I think it went... Because I remembered that series so well because when it finally got to the sister's book... She like was with one of her security guards or something. It was like super scandalous in the in like the kingdom that she was gonna be with one of her guards. I can't read their name. It's like their virgin princess, their virgin hostage. The virgin is what they call oh, them. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. The mm-hmm. virgin secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're all menages with the word virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Shayla Black and Lexi Blake. Uh huh. Yep. That's them. Yes. And I think Lexi Blake writes as Sophie Oaks. Yeah, she does. That's right. Yep. She She has a bunch of menages too. The cowboy menages. Yes. Yes. And that little town. Oh my Mm -hmm. God. This is like taking me back. I know. But this is what I'm curious about. Like if I went back. now. Yep. If Mm -hmm. I would remember loving them like I did now. Yeah. That's what I said. I said, please go back and just listen to one of them. Listen to the first one and tell me if it's just as good as we remember it. Yeah. You're going to have to. You got to take one from the team on that. I'm sorry. I do. <laughs> and I remember the book now. I just looked it up because I that I read the book forever ago. So then I got the audio and listened to it. I'm like, he's an asshole. It was, and I wonder <laughs> if anybody else or even if she writes anymore called Shanna it? McKenna. I don't know. It's behind closed doors. I'm curious if anybody else has read that series. The series was good. Like, it's yeah. been like seven or eight years, except for I reread the first one. I can still mm-hmm. remember, like, the books throughout. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I read a book and I'll forget it a month later. But I still remember yeah. those books from way back Some of then. them stick around. I can't yeah. remember. The mer- Mercenaries? Menage? Mercenary? I'm, like, still That's a different on that. one from Shayla Black. I know. Okay. Like, that's a spin-off. Imagine, that was it. That was their BDS one. It was Masters of Mercenaries. That's her yes, spin-off. That's, that's it. not okay. the Nessa okay. Minaj one. Oh my God. Gosh. If you're screaming at us the answer to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I love that you're screaming because that means that you're like old school with us with these. Yes. If you are, yeah, you've been around for a hot minute. Also. So all right, let's talk about Sarah Reddy. Thank you so much for being with us. Like I said, the book to, that we have today is Love Letters. You're gonna get the first half of that. Um, she does have the ebook out now. I'm not sure if there's any bonus content or not. She didn't mention it when I forgot to ask specifically for that. But you can grab that now if you want, or you can wait till Thursday and get the other half of the audio. Out today is a book called Josh and Gemma Make a Baby. 
And she said it's like a romantic comedy and it's a brother's best friend. So this girl, she wants to, this woman, she wants to have a baby. So she goes to her brother's best friend and is like, hey, will you donate your sperm? And he's like, yeah, sure. So to her surprise, he's in. So they decide to go through in vitro and do it that way instead of the old school way of, you know, boinking. So they go through it and she said she wanted it to be like a humorous way to talk about like in IVF and like Mm -hmm. all the steps through it and that kind of thing. And she said into put in, you know, real life experiences and help people understand it while making it funny and sweet at the same time with romance. Yeah. So, which I thought was really amazing because so many women struggle with that. And it's just, it's a really great thing to like sort of share, you know, especially if you share your own experience and through, you know, a way to make it funny and sweet. of the process too, if you have a friend going through it or something. Yep. That's what she said. She was like, I get so many emails with people are like, I sent this to my best friend. I sent this to my aunt. Like, you know, I sent this to my sister who's going through this right now. Like, this is just such a great way to look at it. So I just thought that was really fantastic. And she's actually doing a giveaway this week of signed paperback of Josh and Gemma Make a Baby. So and I that thought is that was even really available cool. on audio as well, like right now. Yes. Oh, good call. Good call. I didn't check that. So I'm glad you did. So make sure you check those out. It's live today. And I'll read you the book bio, excuse me, for love letters. Enemies in life, in love by letter. For fans of You've Got Mail and The Shop Around the Corner. Do you remember those stories where a lonely, single, yet surprisingly attractive woman finds a romantic letter and starts writing a hunky man from the past only to fall in love? Yeah, that's not this story. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, I spend my days archiving stunningly romantic 300-year-old love letters. If it could happen happen to anyone, it would be me. But these archive letters have given me the basis for for a list of true love requirements. The man I fall for must be sensitive, smart, love history, be kind to little old ladies and stray dogs alike, and... Be the exact opposite of Corbin Ryan, lover of finance efficiency and crushing dreams. Plenty of people, aka everyone, say my list is unrealistic. I may have agreed, expected, I may have agreed, except I'm holding a letter in my hand. I found it in a library book written by a stranger and he's everything I ever, uh, ever said I wanted. Unlike all the stories, he's real. The only trouble is the more we write, the more I begin to question, can you really, truly fall in love with the man you've never met? And what happens when you finally write, P.S. Let's meet? That's like the perfect book bio. <laughs> but you can fall in love with the man you write. I watch it on the show, Love After Lockup or Love <laughs> Prison romance doesn't count. They're locked in. They can't go cheat. <laughs> Hey guys, so if I know you've heard, let me mention this real because we haven't talked about oh it, but God. we didn't talk about TV shows. So Love After Lockup, the one I've always talked about, started a new one. So if you're like, there's so many seasons, the couple's been going, there's a brand new one. It's called Love During Lockup. So every couple is brand spanking new. And I have never seen production do such a superb job in casting. What? I'm like in awe. <laughs> of the cast which is reality so they went mm-hmm. they went through they got some killer okay not killer not killers yeah. like nobody actually killed somebody. 
that turn of phrase was perfect. <laughs> they had perfect. some great people on there, like, blow my mind. I'm like, this is amazing. I applaud production mm-hmm. for this. So if you guys want to start now, there's two episodes. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Go do that. So what is, what's it on? How do you watch it? We TV. Is that an app? No, we we is, is like, it on like TLC regular TV or we. Okay, I'm gonna try to find it and down because I really want to watch that show. But yeah, I, I felt the same. It was too many episodes. So I didn't want to go back and start. Love over. Daring Lockup just love started. Daring Lockup. I'm gonna and go look it up. There's two episodes out, and like I said, I've never seen such superb casting. I was like, this is fun. <laughs> production really did something. Like I can't it. wait. Okay, I'm definitely gonna watch this. I'm gonna put it on in the room when my husband's in there. I'm not gonna tell him. Because he hates reality TV, but I'm he would see love this if I can find He would love link, this. And I'll send it to you, and I'll put it in the show notes to tell you. Because I do know, I had my husband rush up to make sure it was recording on the DVR. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he rushed up, and he was like, oh, they have it still. And I think they did this so people's DVRs would catch mm-hmm. it. They still had it labeled Love During Lockup. Okay. So, but it said, like, episode 63, da, da, da. So I'm going to find, oh, okay. but it is brand new cast, mm-hmm. whatever. So I'm going to find a link. I'm going to give it to you. I'll give it in the show notes so you guys okay. know where to go so you can watch it. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right. Now that we've established that on the love letters, um, make sure you enter this week's giveaway of the signed paperback of Josh and Gemma Make It Baby. You can grab the ebook right now of love letters. It's uh, love along with Josh and Gemma Make It Baby, and that's an audio. So let's play the first installment, and we'll see you on the other side. This is Love Letters by Sarah Reddy, read for you by Monica King. 1. The letter in the library book isn't addressed to me. In fact, it isn't addressed to anyone. I look around Bryant Park, at the mom and daughter arguing over cappuccinos, at the couple kissing in the grass, at the families lined up to buy tickets for the carousel, and I wonder, is this a joke? Did one of the strangers nearby write it and slip it into the book just before I grabbed it from the bookshelf? Are they watching me now? I stare at the crowd of people rushing by on the sidewalk, at the pigeons wandering close to my table, hoping to snag a bite of my panini, at the bus chugging slumberously past. No one's paying any attention to me. I run my hand over the paper. It's just common printer paper, nothing special or unique. But the letters handwritten, using a fine-tipped archival ink pen, and the writing the words. I touch them and it's like I can feel him through the page. A taxi horn honks. I jump and pull my hand from the paper. There's only one thing to do. I call my friend Chandra. What, are they out of paninis? No, no, listen. My voice is urgent. My heart thumps in time to the dotted I's and the crossed T's. Remember how you always said I'm too picky? that there isn't a single man in the universe who can meet my list of requirements? Well, I found him. I don't know how, but I found him at that little outdoor library in Bryant Park. You won't believe it. I mean, you will because I'm telling you, but there's actually a guy out there who's everything I ever said I wanted. Holy crap, is he there right now? I look around, trying to find the man who wrote this letter and left it in a library book. Um, no. Okay, so he left, but did you get his number? Er, no. 
Hannah, are you kidding? You met the man of your unrealistic dreams and you didn't get his number? Well, it's complicated. Fine. Where's he from? Does he live in the city? I don't know. Okay. She sounds discouraged. What's his name? I don't know that either. I look at the letter. It's signed. I miss you, Jay. So I have an initial. Seriously? Fine. What does he look like? I don't know. Holy, unbelievable. Please tell me that after he checked all the boxes on your true love list, you can at least find him again? Um. Hannah. I imagine Chandra pacing back and forth in our office, avoiding the stacked archive boxes and getting worked up, which is her favorite state. Okay, so this is going to sound crazy. It already sounds crazy. But I got a book from the library cart in Bryant Park, and in it, I found a letter. I let the words hang meaningfully. Oh, no. No, no, no. Chandra knows exactly what this means. We work at a prominent historical society. I've spent the last year curating three centuries worth of love letters from American history for a special exhibit. Chandra always says I'll never find anyone if I spend all my time comparing men to their historical romantic counterparts. That real modern men will never hold a candle to the men in the letters I archive. But the letter I'm holding proves her wrong. Oh, yes, I say. The man who wrote this letter, it's fate. He loves history. He just spent the weekend at the cloisters, not the cloisters again. It's romantic. His favorite book from childhood is from the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, which, as you know, is mine, too. His favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, just like me. He loves to explore the city and find how history intersects with the present. He just went to France's tavern so he could enjoy a pint where George Washington sat. And his elderly neighbor is sick, so he made her chicken dumpling soup with handmade noodles. He's not real. And he volunteers at the Humane Society on weekends. He's really not real. He's real! Fine. But even if he's real, it's not like you'll ever find him. Unless, does the letter have his name? His return address? What if he's 90? Or, I don't know, a psychopath who uses letters to lure in women with romantic delusions? I frown at the letter. So, he may be 90. But this isn't the writing of a psychopath. There's no return address. No name. Chandra clicks her tongue. Bad luck. Or good luck if he's a psycho. Guess we'll never know. But that's not necessarily true. I narrow my eyes on the librarian near the book cart. Gotta go. See you in ten. Don't forget my panini. I grab my purse, the library book, and the letter. The librarian, a squat woman with purple lipstick, gives me a bright smile. All done. I hold up the book. I know this is a strange request, but could you tell me the name of the person who checked out this book before me? The librarian's wide smile melts from her face and she looks at me as if I'm a cockroach scuttling around the trash bins. No. I hold up the book. It's the first in a popular fantasy series. But the person who read this before me, no. They left a letter. It's dated from yesterday and I really want to, no. Answer a question he asked. It's a matter of, she purses her purple lips and folds her arms over her chest. Love? I give her a smile. No, she holds out her hand. Are you returning the book? 
But why not? I'm not asking for criminal purposes. I just really, really want to answer his letter. It's like a pen pal thing. She shakes her head. No, it's a little thing called patron confidentiality. But you could just, you know, write his name on a slip of paper and accidentally drop it and I could just happen to find it and... No, here's some free advice. Whoever it is that has you all in a lather, he isn't real. Men on paper are always better than men in real life. She holds out her hand again. Returning the book or not? I look at the cover. There's a golden castle and a black knight. It's book one in the series. Book one. Thank you. I drop the book and take off with a wave. At the book cart, my fingers shake as they run across the worn book spines. Where is it? Where is it? There. I pull book two from the shelf. For good measure, I grab book three. I hurry to the nearest cafe table, rip two pages out of my notebook, and pen a response. I carefully fold both letters and write on the outside, please leave in book for intended recipient. Then I casually reshelve the books and pray that he comes back and finds my letter. I arrive at the office bearing a ham and cheese panini and an energy drink for Chandra. She meets me outside. There's a metal bench near the entrance where she can get fresh air and eat her lunch in three minutes flat. She's digitizing the Civil War love letters this week, and she refuses to leave her desk for more than five minutes at a time. Thank goodness, I'm starving. She grabs the panini, her trademark gold bangles clacking, and gives me a once-over. It's funny. You still look sane, but let me see this letter. I reach into my purse and pull it out, but for some reason, I don't want her to read it. The words are too private. I'll just share a bit. She takes a quick swallow of her energy drink and gives me a knowing look. Fine. Read. I start at the beginning. He writes. I know I said I wouldn't write anymore. It's been two years, a year since my last letter. But that only means I've been storing up 365 days worth of memories to share with you. I know what you'd say. I won't send this letter. Where would I send it? I glance at Chandra. She's listening, her panini forgotten in her hand. I read the next line. But it's hard. I don't think you knew how hard it would be. You said I'd be okay, but how is this okay? So since you aren't here, I'll write one last letter telling you everything you missed. And then I'll let go. It's funny, I live in a city of millions, but I only want to see one person, and I can't. So I'll tell you everything, just like I did at the end when you asked me to describe every detail of my day, so it felt like you were there. Jeez, Chandra says, letting out a long breath. I grip the letter and nod. He goes on. He talks about going to see John Singer Sargent paintings at the Met. Your favorite? Reading from the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweller for the 20th time. You've read it at least that many. And how he goes to the cloisters when he's overwhelmed and finds historic spots in the city to explore and how he made his neighbor soup and she said he was a good man and he wondered if he was anymore because most days it doesn't feel like it. Oh no, I see where this is going, Chandra says. He's met all your true love criteria and he's crying for help. 
You're a sucker, Hanalyn. Let me read you the last bit. I clear my throat and look at his postscript, the small, neat writing, cramped at the bottom of the page. P.S. Remember when we were kids and you told me there was a place in the city where you can whisper into a wall and someone all the way across the room will hear you? You claimed a whisper would travel hundreds of feet and a stranger would hear your words. I thought about that place the other day and I wondered, if I went there, would you hear me? I don't think it's a real place, but I wish it were, because I'd go there and I'd tell you, not that I miss you, because you know that, but I'd tell you goodbye since I never got to say it. So if it is real, maybe you could find a way to tell me. Take care of yourself. I miss you. Jay. I carefully crease the letter and put it back in my purse. You know where he's talking about? Chandra asks. Yes, the whispering gallery at Grand Central. I look at the bright blue summer sky and I wish I knew where he was so I could tell him right away. Chandra nods, then tosses her trash into the bin. It's time to get back to work. Don't look now, she whispers, major a-hole incoming. Unfortunately, whenever someone says don't look, my natural response is to look. Chandra sighs when I turn to stare. It's Corbin. Of course it's Corbin. Who else would it be? The thorn in my side. The bane of my existence. The King George III to my George Washington. The Montague to my Capulet. Do you remember when he fired you? Chandra asks. How could I forget? I'm the one who got fired. Corbin moves toward us through the crowded sidewalk, like a shark cutting through a school of helpless minnows. He towers over everyone. He's at least 6'3". Of course, he's in a crisply tailored suit. It's navy blue with a white shirt and a blue tie. There isn't a speck of personality, softness, or joy anywhere on his person. He's the most stiff, uncompromising man I've ever had the displeasure of knowing. Remember when you thought he was good-looking? Until he opened his mouth. And you thought he could be the one. Don't remind me. And you asked him out for coffee. I was misled by a pretty face. Now I know better. I pat my purse. Letters are the entry into a person's soul. Letters show passion, connection, and love. Hmm, on that note, see you inside. She hurries away, and I realize why when Corbin stops next to me. Why? Why do all the devils have to be so beautiful? And why, even after it became clear that Corbin is a cold, insensitive, unromantic, history-hating jerk, do I feel like I want to take years exploring him, trailing my hands over the length of him, like I'm wandering the halls of a world-renowned museum? Even now, with him frowning at me, his gray eyes clouding, his lower lip turned down, I want to reach out and touch him. I grip my purse, remembering the letter inside. That man is a good man. The man in front of me? He's not. Miss Lynn. Corbin nods at me, a forceful tilt of his jaw. Mr. Ryan? I turn and march back toward the entrance. He keeps pace, his stride long. I overheard you and Chandra. I didn't take you for a romantic. My heart stutters. Did he hear Chandra say I thought he was the one? You heard? He frowns. 
that letters are the entry to a person's soul. I didn't take you for a romantic. Oh, thank goodness, he didn't hear. I tug the door open, the air conditioning and familiar smell of marble and artwork blow over me. Corbin follows me inside. He does work here as the head of finance and operations, after all. I'm not a romantic. I lie, stalking toward the elevator. Maybe I'll get lucky and he'll take the stairs. He doesn't. He stands next to me at the elevator bank and gives me a disbelieving glance. I must have misheard. I thought you claimed letters lead to love. In my opinion, letters make it easy to give promises that will never be kept. A lie written is easier than a lie spoken. Angry heat washes over me. Maybe for someone like you, but for honest, good people, letters, they're one of the best ways to connect and fall in love. The elevator doors open with a whoosh. I stalk inside. Corbin follows, the heat and nearness of him taunting me. I've always hated how my body has never gotten the message my mind so clearly relays. He's terrible. I disagree, Corbin says. You can't love someone without ever meeting them. Love letters are a lie lonely people use to fool each other. That's not what my three centuries worth of archives say. Really? In all those letters, are any of the couples happy? Or are they letters of loss, longing, betrayal, and broken promises? I scowl. He kind of has a point. Not that I'll tell him that. Luckily, the director isn't a cynic like you, so I get to have my exhibit. Corbin was against the love letter exhibit from the start. He said it was sentimental garbage and a monumental waste of time, money, and resources. Luckily, he was overruled. Yes, well, the world needs cynics too. And while you're stuck reading letters in the basement, I'll be connecting with real people. At that, I reach for the B button on the elevator. Corbin reaches at the same time and our hands tangle. He's warm. And when his fingers cross over mine, it feels like the loop of a cursive Y crossing over itself, voluptuous, expectant, and full of promise. My fingers tingle and warmth rushes through me, leaving me achy and longing. I yank my hand back and step away. Corbin frowns, the air between us thick and electric. I swear his gray eyes go hot, then turn cold when I step back. He hits the elevator button and we descend. I grip the brass railing and ignore the way I want to lean toward him. The elevator dings and the doors swing open. I let my breath out in a relieved rush. Corbin looks me over and shakes his head. What? I ask. He holds out his arm to stop the elevator from closing. I hope you're right about the letters, but from experience, I know you're wrong. I stare at him, stunned at how I can still feel the ghost of his hand on mine. I shake my head as he walks from the elevator. The door closes and I'm stuck inside, riding back to the first floor. It's only when the doors open and a dozen tourists climb on that I realize... He wasn't talking about finding love and connection. He was talking about the exhibit and whether or not it will be a success. Because all Corbin cares about is the bottom line. It doesn't matter. 
He doesn't matter. I'll keep hoping, and tomorrow I'll go back to Bryant Park and see if there's a letter waiting for me. 2. He wrote back. More than that, he left his email address, NY History Lover. I told him the location of the Whispering Gallery and that I hoped he made it there. I wrote that Francis Tavern was nice, but on stalking George Washington, I preferred visiting Van Cortland House or St. Paul's Chapel. I told him my favorite book was also The Mixed Up Files, and I loved Thanksgiving too, particularly my grandma's caramel apple pie. And then I asked if he'd write me back and let me know he received my note. He did. In book three, he left another handwritten letter. In it, he wrote, I can't help but wonder how out of the millions of people in this city, you found a letter I accidentally left in a book. I think to not write back would be an insult to whatever brought us together. Send me an email and tell me, what's your favorite place in the city? He didn't leave his name, and so I didn't offer mine. We started writing every few days, then every day, and now, four weeks later, we write every morning and night, sometimes more. Okay, a lot more. Don't you want to know his name? Chandra asks. We're at the Cloisters, just finishing a half-day conference about curating medieval art. We walk past a tapestry, its gold, navy, and burgundy threads bright against the plaster walls. I lift a shoulder. I mean, yes. But I know him, really know him, better than I think I've ever known anyone. A name or what he looks like doesn't matter. We step down a long stone corridor leading to the garden. But Hannah, it's been a month. Last night, you cooked a meal he sent the recipes for, and you pretended you were eating with him. Keyword, pretended. I think about the tortellini with sage butter, the apple-toasted chardonnay, the flickering candlelight, and smile. It was a good recipe. You trade historic walks around the city, you recommend books, you pretend to watch movies together. As your friend, I'm going to be honest, you're acting like you're in love, but you've never met. I'm going to repeat this. You've never met. He could be 90. He's 33. Chandra rolls her eyes. So he says. Honestly, it's weird that he hasn't given his name. Neither have I. I haven't told him my name or my address or my career or anything like that. Yeah, and that's odd. You know he skated at Rockefeller when he was nine, that he had a cocker spaniel named Dickens when he was little, that he comes to the cloisters when he needs to think but you don't know basic things like his job or his name or what he looks like. I'm warning you, don't fall in love with a fantasy, because when you finally meet, he's going to have a donkey laugh, chronic toenail fungus, and smell like pastrami and jockstrap. But I like pastrami, I joke. Chandra throws her hands in the air. Fine, it's your life. I just hate watching you bypass real life for a pretend man. I watch her walk away, the scent of lavender and feverfew drifting in from the garden. Are you coming? She calls. I shake my head. I'm going to stay a while. She waves and I wander down the corridor to the garden entrance. It's the medieval garden Jay mentioned in his first letter. It's an enclosed courtyard full of medicinal plants and old quince trees. There's sweet violet, 
Cupid's dart, and lavender, all laid out in perfect square patches. Jay said there's a bench at the edge of the garden where you can let the bees buzz around you, let the sun fall over you, and let all your troubles melt away. I find the bench and sit, then run my hand over the white and gray marble and think about how he's sat in this exact spot. On the bus trip here, I sent him an email. It said, Yesterday I went to the Met, and I wondered, are you here too? I walked up Fifth Avenue and thought, are you walking past? I'm riding the bus now, and you could be three seats in front of me. Somehow, knowing you're in the city and that you could be next to me on the subway or beside me at the Guggenheim looking at the same painting or browsing the same bookshelf at the library makes the city less lonely knowing that any stranger I pass could be you. If you were here with me today, I'd take you on my favorite walk through Central Park just to say thank you. Thank you for being my friend, for making the city more magical. I close my eyes and imagine he's here, next to me. Someone drops to the bench, my eyes fly open and I flinch. Corbin scowls. What are you doing here? I ask sharply, imagining Jay and finding Corbin is not exactly conducive to goodwill. I glare, because Corbin's gray eyes remind me of a fallen angel in a Renaissance painting, and his lips, even in a scowl, make me want to reach out and touch them to see if they're as soft as they look. I hate it, because even after a month of writing Jay, of probably, truly falling in love over letters, I'm still attracted to Corbin. It just goes to show your body acts independently of your heart. Sometimes they're in harmony and other times it's pure discord. Corbin studies me, taking in my hunter green lace dress. I thought it was conservative, but suddenly it feels like the most risque article of clothing I've ever worn. An image of Corbin tugging my dress down, the lace scraping over my skin. Him taking my nipple in his mouth flashes through my mind. I grip the edge of the bench and pray he can't tell what I'm thinking. I had a budget meeting, Corbin says stiffly. His brow lowers as he watches my expression. I saw you out here. You were at the conference. I nod, my throat tight. Not to be rude, I say, but I wanted to be alone. Corbin nods, then... Instead of leaving, he relaxes further, stretching out his legs and leaning back. You seem different lately. I glare at his casual posture. What does that mean? He shrugs. I don't know. You smile more. You seem happier. I'd say something snappy, but I'm too stunned by the fact that the stiffest person I've ever met has commented that I'm smiling more. Not that it's any of your business but I am happier. He scuffs his wingtip over the gray pavers. That's good, he finally says, tracing a groove in the stone, not looking at me. I get annoyed, remembering his insistence that no one can fall in love from letters, that letters equal lies, and that he knows from experience that I'll be disappointed. Him being here, sitting in this place, goads me into saying, For your information, I've met someone. He's amazing. There isn't a cynical bone in his body which makes him perfect. There's a flash of something in his eyes that makes my chest tighten, 
He looks at my lips, then turns away. For some reason, he seems frustrated that I'm here. Well, newsflash, I'm frustrated that he's here, on this bench. He stares across the garden at the stone columns. How'd you meet? An uncomfortable itch travels up my spine. Well, we haven't exactly met. He turns quickly and frowns. I fidget with the lace on the edge of my dress. How do you know he's perfect then? I mean, we've met online. He lifts an eyebrow. Aha. Uh-huh. I lean forward, sensing insincerity. What do you mean, aha? Uh-huh? Let me guess. You matched with a guy on a dating site. He says all the right things, writes all the best messages, tells you everything you want to hear. He's charming. He's sensitive. He's sweet. No, not really. Corbin continues. He likes all the things you like. He does all the things you do. Not so much, I say. There's no way I'm telling Corbin he's spot on. I'll break it to you gently, he says. You don't have to break anything. I'm gonna break it. I'd rather you didn't. He's in his mom's basement. What's your problem with basements? I work in a basement. I like basements. And has 50 internet girlfriends he's stringing along that he'll never actually meet. That's not true. Have you met? No, but... And he'll eventually ask you for your bank info or naked pictures or, I don't know, for you to buy him an airplane ticket to visit his sick grandma in Ethiopia. You are a strange, strange man. You're being played. Haven't you learned anything from your letter exhibit? Didn't you and Chandra just put a letter on the office intranet last week? That colonial guy who sent love letters to his other wife, the one in Concord? It was sweet. It was polygamy. Okay, yes, it was polygamy, but the letter was sweet. No, Miss Lynn, it was a lie. Just like your internet boyfriend is a lie. Suddenly, I realize Corbin and I are only inches apart. Our hands nearly touch, our faces, our lips a breath away from each other's, and our eyes are locked. The air between us is hot and forceful. We're like two magnets who can't decide whether we repel each other or are drawn irresistibly close. I lick my dry lips and Corbin breaks eye contact to stare at my mouth. I feel his gaze, like the hard press of his lips over mine. He isn't a lie, I say, my voice raw. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. Corbin's jaw hardens and his eyes rove over my face, taking in my expression. Everywhere he looks, my skin tingles as if he's stroking me. I wonder how many lies he had to tell for you to say that. I have a response, but I can't remember it because the scent of lavender is making me dizzy. Or maybe it's Corbin's mouth, so close to mine that it's barely the space between the two words. He leans closer. I can smell the scent of his shaving soap, clean and fresh, straightforward, just like him. His fingers brush mine like pen stroking paper. His hand tangles with mine and I stare into his eyes. In them, I can see our kiss. He'd take my mouth, lick my lower lip, 
suck it like the juice of a ripe plum. And then he'd push me to the warm bench, cover my body with his, and... He's going to kiss me. Corbin is going to kiss... I gasp and jump away, scoot to the edge of the bench. I don't want Corbin to kiss me. I don't want Corbin at all. I want the man from my letters. Corbin blinks, shakes his head like he's coming up from underwater and lets out a ragged breath. When he looks at me again, his eyes are shuttered. I stand and step back, my feet scuffing over the stone pavers. I hold up my purse like a shield against the ludicrous temptation of Corbin Ryan. Hot embarrassment and stomach-churning guilt wash over me at the tight smile Corbin levels my way. As if he's saying, see, your fantasy man can't give you that, can he? He's horrid. He's horrible. A bee buzzes past and the breeze can't cool my burning cheeks. Guilt stings me and Corbin's smile urges me to speak before I think. I'm sorry if I gave you the wrong impression, I say, my voice tight. But just to make myself clear, I don't like you. I will never like you. I think you're cold and cynical. He raises an eyebrow and I push on, waving at the marble bench. This stone bench has more personality than you. You think I'm a fool to love a man I've never met? But I can tell you this, at least he's capable of loving and of being loved. Your heart beats for budgets and your soul is made of numbers. Unlike him, you'll always be cold and alone because you're too cynical to care about anything or anyone but numbers on a page. The silence is dreadful and loud. Slowly, like a poppy opening in the morning, mortification blooms over me. Finally, Corbin clears his throat. I see. He stands and tilts his head. I hope you enjoy your weekend. He walks briskly from the courtyard and I drop to the bench. What? I gasp. What is wrong with you? What were you thinking? I take a deep breath and pull out my phone. There's an email from NY History Lover. With shaking hands, I open it and quickly read his lines. His words flow around me, pulling me through space to wherever he is. He writes, If I were with you this weekend, I'd take you to all my favorite places. After you told me about the Whispering Gallery, I looked up other secret places. In Shakespeare Garden, there's a long curved granite bench. I'd sit at one end and you'd sit at the other, and anything I whispered you'd be able to hear. Later, we'd tour the abandoned City Hall subway station and hold hands as we looked at the vaulted tiled ceilings, the shining brass chandeliers, and the cut amethyst skylights. Then, we'd take a sunset sail of New York Harbor on an 1880s schooner with its billowing white sails and views of the skyline. But you're right. Maybe it's better to imagine that everyone I pass could be you. Maybe it's better to imagine that any stranger could be my friend. I close my eyes, wishing he were here, then write back. Do you ever think that knowing someone through letters is easier? Because if you write something without thinking, you can delete it? As long as there's a delete key, there's nothing to regret. I'm only asking because I said something to someone earlier today that was unkind. Granted, he isn't a particularly nice person, but still, I wish I could go back and delete what I said. 
Would you think less of me if you knew that I'm capable of saying things I regret? I hit send and almost right away there's a response. How could I think less of you? Everyone says things they regret. I know your heart's in the right place. If you said something you wish you could take back, that makes you human. I imagine whoever it was deserved it. At least you're able to say things in the moment. Me. I've always found it hard to say what I want. My brother always talked for the both of us. And after he died, I felt like I was left without words. Don't worry, though. I'll keep a delete key on hand just for you, in case you ever need it. I read his reply again, and then a third time. I never asked him who his original letter was meant for, and now I wonder if I should. Before I can think too hard, I hit reply and send one line. Was it your brother you wrote to, whose letter I found? It takes longer, at least ten minutes of sitting on the bench watching a grackle hop between the branches of the quince trees, before a new email appears. Yes, but I'm glad you found it. He would have approved of you stealing his letter. It was always dragging me around the city on adventures, telling me to live a little. He would have laughed to discover that you're making me live again, even if it's only through letters. I hope you enjoy your weekend. That's all it says. I wrap my arms around myself and feel down when I realize Corbin said I should enjoy my weekend as well. For the first time since finding the letter in the library book, I feel lonely. So I travel to Lower Manhattan and buy a ticket for a sunset sale on the Pioneer. While I look out over the city and let the salty breeze blow through my hair, I imagine that the wind caressing my cheek is my stranger's touch, and the warmth from the sun is his hand holding mine. That night, when I get home, I send an email. There's only one sentence. I think we should meet. Well, welcome back. Hey. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here with us today. Come back and join us on Thursday for the second half of Love Letters by Sarah Reddy. And go download everything. Like Mel said, it'll all be in the show notes. So make sure you check that out. All right. So tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind. And read me romance. Read, read me romance.